You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. My name is Kara Zorel. 24 years ago, my planet, Krypton, was in serious peril. My cousin, Kalel, was sent to a planet called Earth for his own safety and protection. You may know his story. The story you don't know is that I was sent to protect him. Welcome everyone to the 602 Club, and I'm so excited to be here. We've got so much going on this week. We have so much to talk about. We are going to be diving into Supergirl Season 1, doing a, a retrospective look at the entire first season. And I, I, just right in front, I've got incredible gentlemen with me to do that. I have one of the guys who helped me champion the show from the very beginning. Not John Champion, but his counterpart, the one the only he's back that's right norman lau it's really great to be back here in the 602 club God, i love what you've done with the place it's so clean and there's so many cool things now on the menu so thank you matthew for just doing what you do here at the 602 club you've done a great job with the show and and most importantly i think that the prices have dropped by about 50 cents a shot so ruby shots Ooh. all around yeah, no, she's it's going to be a good night. Me. Well, I mean, she's so. frustrated because she hasn't seen you in a while, and uh, we we hoped that those, you know, BOGO shot coupons would get you back, and apparently they did. It works. Buy one, get one free. <laughs> Thanks, Ruby. No, she's still not looking at And me. back with us, the one and the only, the magnificent Bruce Gibson. Ruby is too busy looking at me. Hey, Ruby. How's it going? Great. She really yeah. is. You are the charmer, dude. She just winked dude. at me. You did you are. see that? That's great. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'll buy the next round of drinks. that's probably it oh god well hey uh we're gonna totally shake it up tonight and uh one of the things i want to ask you guys before we even get started uh is where people could find you if they want to talk to you about supergirl or anything else that you're doing online or where they could find you online bruce Hit us up. Where can we find you online and what else have you got going on? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral and that little line underscore Rex. And uh, you can also find me here on Trek FM on Literary Treks talking about Star Trek books and comics with Dan Gunther. And of course, Matt joins us quite often because he started the freaking show. So he should be on often to talk about the books. And I'm also talking Star Wars, especially Episode 8, The Last Jedi, on the Star Wars Report with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And Norm, uh, you've had a lot going on, my friend. So remind everybody where they can find you if they want to catch up with you and uh, what's been keeping you so busy. Thank you for that. Yes, I've been busy because what stole me away from Trek FM was uh, the call to seek out immortals and their history. So on the Fandom Podcast Network, I co-host a show called Blood of Kings with Kevin Reitzel, and we talk about all things Highlander. That's on the Fandom Podcast Network, and you can find me on Twitter 
at Starfighter1701. And you can find me on Instagram at the same handle. But it was my calling. Highlander is one of my all-time favorite fandoms. And like everyone else in podcasting, we have to follow our dream. And my dream was to talk about immortals. So that's, that's awesome, where you can find man. me. Uh, well, if you could find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Uh, of course, I'm on the network here doing The Orb with Chris Jones. You can find, we hope to be back soon. Keep your fingers crossed, everyone, for Chris's health. Uh, you can also find me on the Nerd Party Network and doing a couple of shows. I'm on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills, where we're talking about Star Wars. We love just diving in in, in completely different ways. Like Just two guys sitting down talking about Star Wars the same way you would if you got together with a friend over you know, a milkshake or a a beer. You can also find me on brand new show called Outpost, a Harry Potter podcast, doing with Drea Kaufman. We're going chapter by chapter through the Harry Potter series, so I hope you will look us up there. Uh, also, I just wanted to say a quick thank you. Uh, we got a brand new star rating for the 602 Club on iTunes. It's been a while. We're at order 66, folks. 66 star ratings, all five stars. Want to thank you so much. So if you get an opportunity, go over there. Hit us up with a star rating and review over on iTunes. It really does help out the show, and it helps it grow. So, um, yeah, doing things a little bit differently. But uh, this week, as I said, talking about Supergirl. And Norm, again, I we were on this from the very beginning. We talked about the trailers as they came out and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted to ask you guys... What were your first impressions of the show back in the day uh, when it had ended? And now that you've gotten through your rewatch, has that changed? Has it gotten better or worse? Like, just overall, how do you feel like the season introduces us to Supergirl? You know, Matthew, when you and I talk about this, because we were really excited. I mean, we were really excited, and then, uh, you know, the listeners can, can search the 602 Club for our two episodes about that because we covered, I think, the pilot episode and then we covered The World's Finest because that's when The Flash came in. I think the interesting thing about Supergirl was that it started with CBS. It didn't start with the CW. Or I think even then it was the WB still. No, it was the CW, but and you're right. Yeah, yeah. It, was it, it started CW? on CBS and so it was kind of divorced from everything else. Right, so it felt a little left field and I think that to this day it still feels a little left field on the rewatch, but... It had a specific mission. You know, it had a specific target audience. I don't think that the three of us actually in this, well, not this room, but virtually in the same room were specifically that target audience. So we had to approach watching that, understanding that. But I think that what they did was great for their target target audience, if I can make that assumption, because it was about, you know, female and, and, and uh, especially for young women, that kind of empowerment, finding somebody that you can see on screen and identifying with that hero or heroine and finding inspiration from that. And not just from her, but from Cat Grant and from all the other characters in that universe. I think they succeeded on that level, but when it comes to fitting in with the rest of what DC was doing on TV with Arrow, Flash, and Legends of Tomorrow, I'm not sure if they really found the stride that they wanted to in terms of inserting themselves in that same lexicon. See, I'm fine that the series wasn't connected to the other CW shows, just like Gotham isn't connected to the other shows. And what I liked about Supergirl and its premiere is it really took what I wanted out of a Superman series years ago. I never cared for the adventures of Lois and Clark. I loved Smallville, but that's all, you know, pre-Superman time. 
but we never, I never felt like we really had a really good solid Superman series that takes place with Clark at the Daily Planet, so on and so forth. And of course, this is Supergirl and this is her story, but it was giving me what I always wanted in a Superman series. But of course, in this case, it's Supergirl. So to see Supergirl struggling with her identity and and her working for Cat Grant and having her friends. And I really like the ensemble of her friends because it's like people I would want to hang out with. And so this series really started off with a bang for me, like at super speed, boom, big bang. Well, and you have daughters too, Bruce. So speak to that just a little bit since they are the target audience. How do they like the show and, and how did they respond to it as you watched through the season last year? Well, my oldest daughter uh, really responded to the show. She's a huge DC fan. My youngest daughter, not so much, uh, but my oldest daughter to the point that when uh, she had to get glasses last year, she went with the same style as Kara. She wanted to look, and sometimes she looks just like her. <laughs> she even dresses like her. She loves the show. And it's something that's safe. I'm not worried about anything too graphic or something that would scare her. She also watches Gotham. And which surprises me that she loves Gotham also because she I see her close her eyes at certain scenes. But with Supergirl, it's more family friendly. And I think she really identifies with the character and trying to figure out, you know, as a female, what's her place in life and how strong should she be or how much maybe she should hold back at certain things. So she's kind of growing up with Supergirl in this series. I think that's that's really cool uh, to hear and and to have that perspective of, of getting to watch you know your daughter watch the show and it, it actually being something that you know like you said you can just allow her to watch and you don't feel like you need to do any kind of preview of you know that that's wonderful uh, you know we don't have tons of family TV anymore even as you said Gotham can be very graphic and I I watch that show with my wife but I'm also you know two years away from being 40. So it's like, it's it's not a big yeah. deal. Oh, God forbid. Yeah, I know. God forbid. Uh, <laughs> oh, you're I, just growing up. By the way, my daughter's 15, for those who are wondering what age she is. But the thing that really interests me the most was, you know, my first impressions of the show were glowing. And through the rewatch, I'd, I'd have to say that I was able to take off the rose-colored glasses and kind of see the show, for, I think, for more for what it is, which is that the first four episodes I'd say of the show are rough they have a hard time and whether it's intentional or not I think they struggle with going overboard with the whole it's a female driven show like and and really hitting that drum and the message very hard so it's it's so overt that it doesn't allow you to really experience the rest of the show and I will say that maybe that's just a fault, and this could be it could be a complete fault of the fact that we just don't have enough female-driven shows like this, and so they they felt like they needed to maybe overcompensate. But that doesn't affect Flash or Arrow because they didn't have to struggle with any of that. I'd say about episode five, though, the show really starts to hit its stride, and it becomes more like the other Berlantiverse shows where it's just about all of the characters together more organically and I think that's really where it finds its mojo and once that happens I, I think that this does tend to be um, a very fun 
very lighthearted, much more hopeful show than, I mean, even Flash by season two gets very dark uh, or darker. So you know, this is this is good. I also have to say, uh, one of the questions I want to ask you guys is, so this is a little bit removed from the Berlantiverse. We do get, you know, Flash coming over into her universe. But do you think that maybe this should have just always been on the CW uh, so that it could have maybe played more with those other shows and had the that foundation? Because for me, I think that helped, you know, the Flash. I think it helps Legends of Tomorrow, and I think it helps Arrow to have all these characters that they can play with all the time. It feels very much like a comic book. But Supergirl had this real struggle because she didn't have anybody else to help her. And then they had the whole Superman problem of what do we do about Superman. So I I don't know. I feel like C- this CBS never ne- necessarily figured out that role as well as the CW shows did when they had those same kind of issues. I, I don't know. What, do you, what are your guys' thoughts? Well, for me... Uh, as a as a designer by trade, I think one of the toughest things to do is to release control of of a design theme to somebody else. And and the reason why I'm saying this is because when you release a design theme to a completely other studio, they take their license and their interpretation and they turn it into something that they own. And with the CW, when Arrow introduced Barry Allen in I believe it was season two of Arrow, and they launched. Mm-hmm that whole lore with Barry Allen in The Flash, they used Felicity as the crossover character, and obviously Barry too, but mostly Felicity as the crossover character to usher in a new series. So you have a little bit of a smoothing over process. And I think that did help The Flash a little bit, but then allowed The Flash to kind of like stand on its own by the strength and merit of its storytelling. I think the struggle for Supergirl was that you had to reconcile the fact that Superman was out there and then Supergirl was also out there. And if you really needed to take care of a supernatural threat that was beyond her ability, why not just call Superman? Instead of if she was on the CW, they could have probably created that world's finest team a little bit sooner with Barry and Oliver and now Kara all working together. And I think that really should have done that before Legends of Tomorrow. It really would have created this really nice trinity like the way that Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are in the Prime Universe, or I'll, I'll say Prime Universe, it could have been Barry, Oliver, and Kara in the CW Universe. And I think that really would have created a great foothold for television on the CW, and they would have owned Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I think that would have been a better strategy, in my opinion. I think I like the way it played out for the reason that if she's on a separate network and not tied into the flash and arrow, it gave her one season to get her own footing and stand on her own for that series. And I think it's great now that it's moved to CW that we can start merging those two, her series with the other series and having those crossovers take place after she's established herself on her own. The thing I was missing the most from Supergirl is what was just mentioned about Superman. Yeah, I mean, when you have Kryptonians and big villains come that are basically going to destroy a city, it's not that she needs Superman, but, I mean, really it should be a back and forth. 
He should be coming at times helping her. She's going and helping him. I'm glad they eventually brought Superman into the series in the second season at the, at the start of it. But in this first season, it just seems really lame that we don't see him. You always expect that he's going to show up. And when he does show up, you never actually see him. And then when he's hurt, you see he's on a table and you really just see his feet. And it's like, come on, you know, let's just bring Superman in. He's part of the mythos. He's part of Supergirl's universe and vice versa. So I'm glad they eventually went there. But now that we're in the second going into the second season now, we've brought her in with other superhero characters. And that's okay now because we've had a full season for her to establish and stand on her own. Well, and it's hard because part of it is that she's in Clark's shadow. And you don't want her in Clark's shadow. You don't even want that shadow around. But they kind of place her in that shadow at the very beginning. I mean, even in the opening, you know, when she says, you know, I was sent to protect my cousin and I got lost. And when I arrived on Earth, he had already grown up and become Superman. Uh, You know, so they immediately set up this kind of shadow that she's in. And it's a little bit frustrating to me as being a fan of Superman and of Supergirl uh, that the ways in which they kind of lift Kara up are to kind of put Superman down. Uh, you know, I mean, at the end, when he's taken over by Myriad, that makes no sense whatsoever. I don't care if he's raised by humans. That doesn't change your brain that much biologically because he's never going to be human. He's always going to be Kryptonian. So don't give me that BS. It just, it seems like it's like, oh, they're going to say, oh, there's things that Supergirl can do that even Superman can't. Well, but... I don't know if we have, why do we have to take one character down to put another character up? It seems like we should try to find a way that's more equal. And that's what I like what you're saying, Bruce. If they're working together more often, if they're actually just working together throughout the show. It, 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 it puts them on equal footing. Like he needs her help. She needs his help. There's nothing wrong with saying that you need help. And that, it, that was sometimes a frustrating thing throughout the first season so and and it didn't have to be a, and that's where I'm wondering if if they were on the CW if they might have just had the cojones to just bring him in earlier you know uh, because uh, CW shows in general every time you think you're gonna have to wait for something in one of the DC shows they do it the next episode and totally blow your mind like that they already went there but Supergirl felt like they were holding things back and I never felt like that before uh, with one of the other CW shows, so uh, I don't, I, I don't know, and I don't think we'll ever really get an answer to that. But you know, by the end of the season, I think they course correct for the most part. I think that having James Olsen in there with the Superman Watch allows fans that are well established in the Superman universe to to have that tether to Superman. Like, well, if anything goes wrong, use the watch. Superman will be there. I think that introducing that particular part of the lore just allows people to say, okay, there's the doorway for Superman to come in and save her. I think that if they didn't even mention him or reference any kind of way to contact him, she would have been able to stand out on her own and say, like, you know what? I don't have him to back me up. I have to figure this out on my own with my team. And I think that every time you open the door for Superman to come in, it undermines what she's capable of doing on her own and her team. Because let's face it, one Kryptonian is good enough. Two Kryptonians, it's like, it's, that's kind of unstoppable. And that's always been the issue with Superman or 
the way that he's written. How do you write something that's compelling for somebody who is literally able to do anything? You know, you have to hit them in the moral center. And if you don't have anyone in the moral center to focus on, the storytelling kind of falls apart. But dude, I agree with you. I, I think they course correct that towards the middle of the season. I wonder if it would have played better if they had written that Superman is gone or missing, you know, not to go to Superman Returns, but let's say Superman is missing and Kara needs to step up and kind of fill the shoes that he left behind and she is on her own. There is no Superman there to back her up. She can't turn to him. So you can just write him out of the story for at least the first season or so And Kara has to do it on her own. It's just not, you know, well, Superman just didn't show up or Superman just isn't available right now. Yeah. Um, Please hold for the next available Superman. (laughs) (laughs) I, I completely agree, Bruce. I was actually thinking that same exact thing. Why not do a fun thing where you allude to one of the times in the comics that Superman's off world at one of a different planet. Um, you can do a fun Easter egg for uh, the the comic book fans and just write him out of the show for the first half of the season or for the first whole season. So it really does mean that when Supergirl comes out of the shadows, saves that plane, well, she saves it because Superman wasn't going to save that plane. He's not mm-hmm. around. You know, I think that mm-hmm. makes it much more like, and then by the end when she not only lives up to, but maybe it succeeds in ways that Superman has it, it really does put her at the forefront without tearing another character down. So I I completely agree. I, it, I think, I wonder if part of that was that they were on, the, on CBS and they weren't taking as many risks. They were holding some things back, trying to be too careful. Uh, whereas on, I feel like on the CW, they just kind of, they, they just shoot from the hip, you know? Uh, and, and I think that might have just helped the show a little bit more. Um, I guess it's time. We should really dive into some of the characters and just kind of talk through their their, their arc. Cara Zordell, Cara Danvers, Supergirl, Melissa Benoist. I think, you know, for the most part, to me, she just nails the characterization. Um, I, I think she brings a heart to that character that you really need. And I really like her portrayal of the character. And I, I like that, for the most part, I like the story arc that they put her on of this self-discovery of, I can do all these things, but do I, should I do, uh, you know, all that stuff? I thought it was great. I think she's a great character, and I don't want to get into Cat yet, but I think she's a, she balances well with Cat Grant and her portrayal of Kara. I mean, she's, she's not playing it as nerdy, as we've seen some portrayals of Clark, she's not stumbling all the time or just running into doors or getting stuck into something. She seems like a girl that's, you know, started a job, works for a difficult boss and trying to figure out, you know, how, how do I balance this? I want to do the right things. I want to be accommodating. I want to, but you know, I'm, I'm not, don't want to be too strong because I'm not, that type of person. I'm not the person that's going to be real arrogant and real forceful and, you know, hello, Miss Grant, and here's your coffee, Miss Grant. 
And so I really like her portrayal of Kara even more so than I think Supergirl. I mean, she plays them very similarly. There, there's times in the series where she gets really mad at Supergirl, and that's when I really like her because she's now like, I'm tough and I'm really going to beat the bad guys. And I like when she gets that real anger in herself when she's playing Supergirl because she really seems like she could some kick some you-know-what. Yeah, I think they did a great job casting her, casting Melissa as Supergirl, because she has the right mixture of that Kansas Midwest meekish kind of personality, but you know what she's capable of. And I think that's a really nice analog to the way that Christopher Reeve played Clark, because it's that aw shucks kind of personality. And she's really, really good. It's just really good actress, and I think there's a lot of earnestness near her, and I think that she was the right person for the job, and she has the capacity to grow. And I also think that she uh, has a lot of empathy towards the rest of her cast. I think that a lot of them just bounce off of her really well. That's, that's not an easy thing to do, and I think that's one of the things that is probably the greatest strength in all of the CW casting. I know that she was cast for CBS, but really kind of Berlanti had his hand in that. And, you know... You have to believe that this person is that character on screen, is wearing the the uniform, the Kryptonian outfit. But at the same time, though, she's not separated from who Kara is. She is Kara. And I think that there's a really nice balance that Melissa strikes with being able to pull that character off on screen. I think that's probably one of the greater strengths of season one is how she handles that character. The the only thing that I was, uh, and, and this came in the rewatch that I'm a little bit frustrated by, is that they saddle her with the tropiest of trope for a female protagonist, which is between these love triangles that she ends up in, between her and Jimmy and Wynn, and then her and Lucy and Jimmy, and it's just like, she Cat can Grant's never... Son. Yeah, Cat son, like She can never seem to kind of get out of these love triangles and I was a little bit frustrated about that because I felt like I would have liked to have seen I guess this is my inner feminist coming out but I would have liked to have seen Kara not having to deal with boy issues like that's the one of her biggest issues throughout the whole season it's a little bit frustrating it seems a little bit pandering to just put her in that position that oh she automatically has to be in love with James Olsen because he's gorgeous and all that kind of stuff it just I, I felt like um, it, it's not bad, but it's just cliched, and I don't need that for Kara. We'd love to her at this re- season to really be more about her finding herself as Supergirl, and maybe get into love interests in the second season. You know, and of course, all spoiler alert: season two, her and James don't see and stay together. So it's like they they work through all this stuff, but it doesn't really lead to a a good conclusion, one that feels like all that time that they spent on this really meant something. So yeah, I guess uh, my inner feminist is a little frustrated that Kara is suffering from, you know, love triangle syndrome. Well, if it makes you feel better, I think she handled her boy issues better than James and Wynn handled their girl issues. Their well, girl that crushes, is very true. So. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. She handles it with much more grace than they do. That's for sure. Which leads us to James Olsen and talking a little bit about Makad Brooks. Biggest thing I pick up on the rewatch is that they set up that 
James is tired of being the sidekick and really build into that a lot throughout the season. You can see his frustration of being feeling helpless of why he's going to want to become what he's going to become in season two, which is Guardian. So I, I thought that kind of came out of nowhere in season two, but doing this rewatch, I realized, no, they really went back and mined the first season and brought him a storyline that brings him somewhere, you know, because he kind of flounders a lot in this season. He doesn't know what to do. Well, I mean, I think that happens in a lot in first seasons. I mean, when you when you look at, say, say Smallville, I mean, you don't really know where Chloe's going to go. And then when they finally introduce Lois, you don't really know where she's going to go. And you don't really know where a lot of kind of like the starting characters are going to go. And I think that that is kind of typical about first seasons. Like rarely, if ever, do sort of the secondary casts get get their feet underneath them right out of the gate. So I felt the same way with, with you know, McCaddy playing James. Also, I remember that there was kind of like a big brouhaha about, yes, yes folks, I said brouhaha, brouhaha about him being African-American. Jimmy Olsen, the red-haired, freckle-faced Matt. I mean, we, you know, we, right. we've talked about this. And, and I don't really, I don't have any problem with it at all. I mean, this is an interpretation of the character. All characters are interpreted in certain ways. And obviously, this is part of the multiverse. But he does have, because of his watch, he does still have that tether to, golly gee shucks, I'm Superman's best friend. You know, because that's the the watch that has the supersonic message that can call Superman. So, in, in one sense, I do like how he is modern and slick and handsome and fit and a photographer still. But at the same time, though, doing that small little prop device turns him back into that bow-tie-wearing, red-haired, freckle-faced sidekick at times because that's not what I wanted this character to be. I wanted him to be this other guy. But I think he did a great job in the role, and, and he's doing a great job in this new season. So I, it's, it's neat how you see characters evolve from the start. He wasn't quite settled. I think he's settling now. It'll be interesting to see what happens in season three. My first time seeing Jimmy Olsen, I was a little put off because I'm like, this isn't Jimmy Olsen. It's like you said, he's uh, he's supposed to be the kid with red hair, freckles or whatever, and, and just this, the, the kid of the group, you know, the one that everybody kind of laughs at and, and he doesn't know, you know, he's he wants to be a grown up, but he's not or whatever. But then I realized I really quickly understood that, no, I like this because this is a different guy. This is a different Jimmy Olsen. It's the same Jimmy Olsen, but he's older now. He's now in his, whatever, mid-30s. And so now Jimmy Olsen has matured and he's grown up into a good-looking guy and he's not this awkward kid anymore. Because if you think, if there's 15 years of him following around Clark and Lois and, and Perry White and dealing with all these adventures that he's been in with Superman and all the dangers that he's been in, he's going to grow out of that awkward kid into this adult. And, you know, he's probably working out and, and, and he's just a new person. He's now the mature James Olsen. And so I kind of like that. And now we've got him there kind of mentoring Supergirl, just like Clark and Lois were probably doing to him. So you're saying when he started, he looked more like Urkel, and now he kind of matured into James? <laughs> Absolutely. He was Urkel. It was a family matter. <laughs> well done. Oh, man, that was perfect. I have to say that uh, Alex Danvers and Kyler Lee, to me, especially in the rewatch, are the heart of the show. I know it's about Supergirl, but I feel like 
she does such a good job every time she's on screen and everything that's going on for her with, you know, her sister coming out as a superhero, uh, the questions about her father, uh, you know, the the wondering if who she's been working for all this time had a hand in, in you know, killing him, uh, who her boss actually is in the first place, which she just hired because of her sister. I mean, she has so much going on in the season, and I just feel like Kyle Lee is phenomenal. And any time that she, like, tears up and starts crying on screen, I'm like, dang it, girl, you got me again. Like, she always gets me, and she's just a fantastic actress. I mean, I've loved her since she was in Grey's Anatomy, uh, playing Lexi, which another... Alex, <laughs> Alexandra. So I, I just, I can't say enough about how much I love her character and needing to rewatch it even gotten more so. Yeah, she definitely grounds the family unit in a way. You know, she's the big sister, even though she's the adopted big sister, but she is such a good actress. You're right, Matthew. I mean, she's, she's, there, there's so much heart in that character. And I think, I think it frustrates her that she wants to be able to protect her protect Kara, but she knows that Kara really doesn't need protecting physically. I think she wants to protect Kara emotionally and spiritually. You know, she wants to be able to be that shield for her because there's nearly nothing on earth that can hurt Kara Danvers, you know, aside from kryptonite, which is not from the earth. But there's something that a big sister that needs to do, like, I need to protect you just from either yourself or from other things that big sisters are supposed to look out for, you know, and especially your heart. You're supposed to protect your sister from having her heart broken in a variety of different ways. So I think she does that. I think that bottom line, with all that training, with all that you know, uh, special uh, the, the the special ops type of training in in the uh, heart of hearts and in, in the very end, the final analysis of her character, she just wants to be her big sister. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Alex the first time I watched it. It wasn't that I didn't like her. It just she just wasn't my one of my favorite characters. But in the rewatch, I really picked up the greater, deeper dimensions of her character. And the fact, you know, Norm, that you're saying that she's there, she wants to protect her sister. But at the same time, we're learning from her. Is it that she really wants to protect her sister or is it because she was brought up to protect her sister? Her parents were always pushing for her to, you know, watch Kara and, and protect Kara and it's all about Kara and she struggles and she kind of resents the fact that she's made to always take care of her but at the same time she discovers well even though it's expected that she does this she realizes yeah I'm the big sister and I do feel for her and I have feelings for her and I want to do it so it's not that I have to do it it's that I really want to do it and so I really picked up more on that in the rewatch it really helps when you you do the whole, you know, a binge watching of these episodes all at once. It just flows so well together. And I did feel like all these episodes really f- feel like chapters in one big story. And I'm going to call that out. And, and because I don't want to forget to say it, I think that some of the best shows on television right now are these DC TV shows because of their rewatchability factor. Because I. I feel like that they are made to sit down and watch successively, you know, in almost the binge style. So you start to pick up all the things that you miss week to week. You know, like right now, where we are now, where we're recording, it's 2017 in January. We're only halfway through season two of Supergirl and the other DC shows. But 
My mind remembers about half of what happened in those episodes just because of the time that's passed. But when you sit down like this, you really do. They they plant little things in each every episode that really build, and I think it's really awesome that they do that, and, and they should be commended for that because what's better than having a show you like than having a show you actually enjoy rewatching because you feel like you get more out of it? That's fantastic stuff, so... Uh, so that leads me to to just asking you guys. We've got Win, and I he was a character that I gravitated more towards in my rewatch as well because I felt like there was something about his storyline, and I like Jeremy Jordan's acting, and he can get really vulnerable really quickly and make you feel what he's feeling. And I just what a great casting job because he could just come off as the next Cisco or something. Uh, but he really is his own person, and I I really enjoyed his character development a lot. Oh, and I love Cisco, so I would ha- I'd be okay with that. But I also love Win. Win is great, and Jeremy it was my uh, he played my favorite character in the series Smash back when that was on NBC. So I was really pleased to see him in this series, and uh, yeah, he's he's he is kind of like the Cisco of the show, but he's not like Cisco, but. I really enjoy his character. He's more, probably, I relate to him more than anybody else on the show. You know, it's funny, when we first started watching this, I'm like, is there going to be a CW show that doesn't have some type of brilliant scientist, genius, arms dealer, like, computer hacker person, like, in the mix? Because it's a little, it's a little patternistic, if that's a word. You know, it's a little kind of expected now. Because it started with Felicity, then it really, you know, kind of hit the pinnacle, you know, the, 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 the high water mark with Cisco, and then you know you have Wynn. Well, before that, Smallville it was Chloe, <laughs> and it was Chloe, right? You know, but what I like about Cisco are, I mean, what I like about Wynn are his quieter moments when there's no tech involved, when it's just he and Kara, and they're just talking about their feelings. They're just talking about who they are as people. I actually really like him as an actor. I think he's a very strong actor, and I think that it would be, it would be better if they don't always kind of have that. I mean, where do these people come from? I mean, he's, you know, he's working behind a desk. He should be working for, like, the Department of Defense or, like, some kind of, like, super, you know, techie. He should be working for Maxwell Lord. I mean, come on. You know? <laughs> he's super genius. But it, it the funny thing is, is that uh, during the whole, um, I know I'm jumping here, but uh, the whole um, uh, invasion thing, you know, you had uh, Felicity was there with Team Arrow. Cisco was there with Team Flash. Why wasn't Wynn there with Team Supergirl? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, that would have been good. And uh, no, he's a, he just is. He's a, I like what you called out that he's best in the small moments. because, And I think part of that is that he has such a close relationship with Kara from before he even knew she was Supergirl. You know, they had a friendship. Obviously, he, had a, he liked her and all that, but they did. They had a close relationship, and, and that really carries through the season and becomes a, a, a very important aspect for Kara as well so I, I think they do a good job and with David Harewood playing uh, John Jones and of course um, Hank Henshaw we don't know that all of that right away because it's a mystery but man do I uh, on the rewatch the fatherly aspect of him towards Kara and Alex man did it get me like I was so sucked into that storyline and and the power behind it and how he portrayed that character of, of a man who 
had lost his family and found a new family and, and a new set of daughters that he loved just as much as he they were his own. And I just I think he is the 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 perfect casting again. Uh, it, for the most part, the show casts so well, and um, he really pulls that off with those two uh, because they do. They feel like father and daughters in a lot of ways. Yeah, I love David Harewood all the way back to Homeland. You know, we played the uh, director of the FBI, uh, the uh, CIA, and he's just a fantastic actor. And I think it's funny. I think we mentioned this in the show before. I thought that he kind of played Hank Henshaw a little wooden, but then when we finally got the reveal of him being, you know, John Jones, I was like, well, he's playing a Martian trying to play a human, trying to play someone who's trying to to fit in and not uh, reveal himself as being a shapeshifter. And I was like, wow, either he's really good at doing that or I'm reading way too much into that part. But I, I've always, always appreciated the effort that he put into the character. And then when we finally revealed him as Martian Manturn, I'm like, brain just eh, explodes. I'm like, wow, it's fantastic. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's very grounded as an actor. And I think he, he brings kind of like that, a male moral center into the show. I agree. He was very wooden. I didn't care for her for him in the first half of the season. I I like him better in the second half of the season because he is less wooden. We know the the John Jones part of him and he's become more sympathetic. He's become more that father figure. I like his place better with these characters now than I did when the series started. And of course, Every American show now has to have a British actor do an American accent, so he's the token Brit in this one. Well, we get to the Cat Grant, uh, close to Flockhart, and I remember this was probably the casting that I was like, really? When they first cast the show? But I love the character arc for her. And what I love is that she teaches Supergirl as much as she learns from Supergirl and Kara, or Kira, as she calls her for the entire <laughs> run of the show until the last episode. I just, I think that Calissa Frockhart brings a fire and a joy and says some of the, the best and the funniest things in the series, um, and she gets away with it. I, she she's wonderful and and I really like her interaction with Kara. I felt like they picked the right person to bounce off Melissa Benoist and and it just it works perfectly. Yeah, she's a character that I actually hate that I love. Because I've known some women at places I've worked that are kind of like that and they're not pleasant to work with and but Cat Grant there's just so much to her. And I love what you said about, you know, not only is she teaching Kara, she's also learning from her and vice versa with Supergirl. And she's really become a character, even the second time watching, that I really have enjoyed. She's almost my favorite character. And again, I hate to say that, but she's probably one of my most favorite characters in the series because there's just so much to her. It's like every time, every episode with her, I feel like we're peeling another layer off of her and finding something new about her and, and finding something that we did not expect to see in this character. And there's just so much to her. And I love the line where she's, 
you know, talking about how, oh gosh, Harrison Ford wants to take me out on a date again. I mean, come (laughs) on, I don't date older men, especially married ones. (laughs) You know, it's funny when they cast her and they revealed who she was as an actress in this show, there was this whole, you know, Supergirl meets Ally McBeal. And I think that's really kind of unfair because, you know, it's, she has, she has a body of work that's, that far surpasses that. I think the great thing about Callista Flockhart in this role is that she knew who Kara's name was. She knew that name. She calls her Kira or Kyrie or whatever she wants to call herself because it, it's just what it's it's just what suits her for the day. But in the end, in the final analysis, she is probably the most grounded, most complex, most confident, and most probably morally centered character because I think she knows exactly who she is. And just being able to entertain herself through the course of the day by having this variety in her life that she controls is what brings the spice to the show because it's, she's not a bad person, although she seems, yes, yeah, she's arrogant and she's bossy and she's, yeah, 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 yeah. But she's also confident. She's also self-assured. She's also very much in control of who she is. And I think that's the point. I think the point is, is that I'm just going to have a little bit of fun with day. I'm just going to like say, you know what? I'm just going to be who I am. I want to be who I am, how I am, when I am, where I am. Because I can. Because I have worked my way to this situation. I have earned my way up the ladder. And I have established myself as this person. So why can't I have a little bit of fun? Of course, her employees don't think of it that way. But in the end, the quiet moments, which are always the greatest moments in the CW shows. Yes, this is a, a CBS show, but it is a CW show. The quiet moments between the characters, the moment where she gives Kara her office in the final episode and says her name, that reveals exactly what she knows and when she's going to reveal what she knows. Which is interesting because uh, then you have, I think, oh, I don't know how to say the complete opposite of that, but Peter Fascinelli as Maxwell Lord, to me, in the rewatch... I feel like he got cheated of having more substance to him because I feel like the beginning of the season, he's it's so cookie-cutter bad dude. And then by the end of the season, they're finally kind of prying open, you know, that character and making him a little bit more trustworthy and a little bit more helpful and just giving him some more depth. And then they end the season with him and Lane taking the Omega Hedron and looking like that's going to be something for upcoming seasons. But, of course, we have heard nothing about Maxwell Lord whatsoever in season two. Uh, and so it's like he's fine. Um, I think I think he just gets kind of short shrift in the end uh, for the show. And he kind of becomes their Lex Luthorish type uh, because they just they're almost it seems like afraid to really go there um instead of just giving you a luther in the show we'll do max lord which max lord had implications in supergirl uh and in the comic run but they they never really bring him to that level and so uh and he can be an interesting character in the comics he's just come back and rebirth but yeah i i feel like he he's the one that i i feel the I feel I kind of feel bad for him. He just doesn't get enough to do. And and of course, season two, he gets nothing to do. <laughs> so Yeah, Fascinelli is a weird one for me because he I'm not sure if he understands the character of Max Lord, to be quite honest. 
Max Lord is a great character for the show, but I'm not exactly sure if they cast this character correctly. I felt the same way about Raj Al Ghul in season three of Arrow. I'm not sure if they cast that character correctly. I don't really think that CW kind of misses a lot of their of their casting calls, but in this case, Facinelli is just a little too. I guess he's a little too unsure of where he wants to take the character. Now, say like, okay, Michael Rosenbaum as Lex Luthor in Smallville knows exactly who Lex Luthor is. And maybe it's because they don't want to fully commit to a Lex Luthor character. Because you're right, Matthew. It's like, do we want to go Lex Luthor? Because we do. It's We're grounding it too close to Superman. I'm not sure if they want to do that. But yes, he is. He's conniving. Yes. He's part of a huge tech firm. Yes. He has underhanded, undermining kind of like uh, aspirations? Yes. Isn't that Lex Luthor? <laughs> you know, without without actually having a handful of kryptonite at his disposal? I mean, it's, it's really kind of like one step removed. So I'm not exactly sure if it's, it's Facinelli's issue, if it's not that they're writing the Maxwell Lord character right, or if they're too f- afraid to create too many parallels to Lex Luthor, because let's face it, Lex Luthor and Superman lexicon is king, right? Or king villain, I should say. Yeah, I mean, I it does feel like he wants to, you know, be the spin doctor song, pocket full of kryptonite, walking around like I'm that kind of guy, you know. Uh, but right. he he never quite gets to be there. And and then when they kind of give him this somewhat interesting aspect of his character, well, is he really a bad guy in the in the very end? Yeah, it, it's just a little bit frustrating because well, I don't know if we'll ever get an answer. Is it fair to say he's too handsome to be duplicitous? I don't know. Michael Rosenbaum was really handsome and he was really duplicitous. So, I mean. But he was also, but he also had the Lex Luthor baldness going. That's true. You know, so. But I mean, Patrick Stewart's beautiful and he's bald. But is he duplicitous? I, I mean, he can be. He has been in certain films. But that is also Patrick Stewart. That's true. I don't know. This is this is really good. <laughs> Bruce, what do you think? <laughs> Are we saying Patrick Stewart should have played Maxwell Lord in this? <laughs> or or Patrick Stewart should play Lex Luthor? <laughs> oh, man, that would be awesome. Well, I'm not going to add much more to what you guys are saying because just the tone of the, what you're talking about is exactly how I feel. I could, you know, take him or leave him. He was okay. He was good for a while. I don't. It's not a reaction to the actor's performance. I just thought the character was... There just wasn't a whole lot there. He did his service. He's gone. I'm I'm good with it. Well, the last uh, main character that we'll talk about um, before we get rolling and some other stuff is Laura Benanti, and uh, she plays uh, Alora Zorel and Astra NZ. I think is how you'd say that uh, in Kryptonian. If I'm wrong, please just tweet me at Matt Rushing Terror Two and tell me profusely how wrong I am. You can just join all the others. Uh, what did you guys think of her? Because she's another one to me where. Uh, she feels up and down. Some scenes I feel like she just completely nails, and then there are other scenes where I feel like she's the wooden one, uh, and I want more from her. And so it, it it's frustrating because she has a very powerful role, especially as Astra, but it feels uneven. Yeah, none of these villains in this series have really worked for me that well. I mean, there's not a single villain in this that I would say, oh, I really like that one. That was... That one was really good and challenged Supergirl. Uh, you know, I mean, her again, her performance was good. It, I, she did a great job balancing both of the characters. You know, they're twins, they look alike. And, you know, when she would perform them, I could tell what, you know, who was who. It was, it was obvious. 
but it, it's like you said, it's, you know, sometimes it was a hit and sometimes it was kind of a miss. And that's how I feel like about a lot of the villains in this. I, I think the whole family dynamic of these uh, characters, the team Kara works really well. It's just, I don't think they've hit it right with the villains yet. In my opinion, I think they should have actually switched Alora's death with Nons because I don't know why they kept him going. Honestly, there's no emotional connection with Non. He's the lieutenant. He's Alora's lieutenant. Yes, and husband. I get it. But the whole drama between Kara and Alora is that they're family. So why not keep her there until the end where she really needed to make that choice between family the last of her Kryptonian family and saving her new earth, her, her, her world, you know, her human family. That would have been like the best drama ever. I mean, I, in the, in the final fight in the, in the last episode, like beating non, who cares? You know, who is he? He's, he's nobody, you know, you know, it's like you're, you're tr- the razor trying to make you care for his relationship with Laura. Well, they really should have been making you care about her relationship with Kara because who do you choose? Do you choose, your Kryptonian family, very much like Man of Steel. Zod posed the same question. You're choosing this world over your own people? What's wrong with you? You know, he's, he's trying to appeal to Kal-El's inner, uh, his inner loyalty. He's like, are you Kryptonian or are you human? And I think that, and they used a lot of Man of Steel-esque music in the final episode. That would have really been a great, great scenario where Alora's like, who are you going to side with? Earth? Or are you going to side with Krypton? Where do your loyalties lie? I don't get that with Nod because Nod doesn't care. He's just trying to facilitate a plot. But Allura would have facilitated the emotional drama and that real serious choice that Kara had to make. And it would have been like she would have to think about Jimmy. She would have to think about Wynn. She'd have to think about Kat. She'd have to think about all the people that she loved and versus her own family. And I think that's, that's where the real drama lies. And that, that I think you make a great point because the whole, I mean, the big theme here is stronger together in this show. And that's tough because one of the, the big parts of the series is when Kara thinks that Hank is the one who killed her aunt. And then it turns out that, you know, we know as the audience that no, it was Alex who did it. And honestly, that's one of the best scenes, and this is probably the best scene in the series so far, is when Alex confesses to Kara that she's the one who killed her aunt and that it was Hank who took the blame because he didn't want her hating her adopted sister. And that whole scene is just beautiful, and it gets me every time because the way that Kyler Lee is playing it and that's where that whole theme of stronger together really comes. I think it, it's it really is. That's the strongest place uh, where Alex and Hank and Kara come together as a family who have to had to go through some serious stuff. I mean, you know, a death of a family member that one of you is responsible for, and all of that, and the father and the daughter aspect going on there. I think all of that works so well, but you're absolutely right in that it leaves you not caring about the villain because Nan is not interesting and Indigo is fine. I, I care about her only in the sense that she's Laura Vandervoort who played Supergirl, and, but I don't care about her any other way. So 
Would you say he was a non-villain? Exactly. He's a <laughs> non-villain. Uh, but, you know, that's hard because that Stronger Together piece is where the whole series is building because, you know, also it plays into the very vast episode where the DEO, Cat, Maxwell Lord, General Lane all work together to save the world and that they are stronger together. I'm not sure exactly how you rewrite that and you do that if Astra is still alive. Um, that's really difficult So because it takes away one of the best scenes in the show. But I agree with you, it would be stronger at the end if Astra was still there and Kara has to make that choice that Clark has to make in Man of Steel. Who do I choose? You know, Because that really is a pretty complicated choice. Yeah, you know, it's... I think the thing with, uh, and let's go all the way back to the CBS versus CW factor. One of the things that I love about the CW shows is that they really ask you some very strong, very pointed moral questions, especially what's going on with Flash right now. It's like, what right do you have to be able to change people's lives? You know, it's, it's kind of like that whole, if you give somebody the power of a god, what right do they have to use it? And what are the consequences? The same thing with what's happening here. In all intents and purposes, a Kryptonian has the power to be able to shape the fate of humanity. That's just the power that's within them. And without that grounding, without the grounding of the Danvers family with Supergirl or the Kent family with Clark, what would they be? There's a fantastic comic book called The Nail. You guys should read it. It's by Alan Davis. And it's about what happens if the Kents don't find Clark. You know, what happens if the Danvers family didn't find Kara? You know, and in this case, I think that in the end, I think that would have served Supergirl really well would have been that one choice. What do I choose? And seeing all of that, all the stronger together, all her sister, her mom, Hank, uh, even even uh, Maxwell Lord up to a point, all those choices, all that input, all that advice versus her family, the loyalty that she has to Krypton. That would have been such an amazing challenge, I think, for Melissa to be able to emotionally put that on screen and say like, I understand what you're saying and I think that's probably a good thing that if, if we exercise the, the benevolence of Krypton on this planet, but at the same time, it's like what Clark said, Krypton had his chance. This is Earth. This is, I'm the protector of humanity now and I'm, I've learned from my human family what I need to do. So I'm sorry. And it would have broken her heart. And we, as of the viewers, our hearts would have been broken through her. And that's that moment where I think it would have been just watershed. And I'm not talk, I'm talking about like the, the, the dynamics of, of the show. We would have literally been tearing to no end when she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't save Krypton anymore. The Earth is my is my home now. This is it. And Clark, you know, she she would have had that moment, and I think that would have been really really fantastic to see on screen. It is interesting. One of the things that they put on in the show that I really liked was uh, the Black Mercy episode, where she is getting to live in this fantasy world where all that pain and hurt is taken away, but it's not real, and. Uh, it really went with something that Kat says too about, you know, just this idea of kind of responsibility and being part of society. Uh, 
and all of these things, because Kat says to her, you know, you need to earn the right to have an opinion in the first place. And uh, those two things together of not running away from the world and living in a fantasy world, but dealing with the truth and the pain, that, that, that messy truth of life. Um, and also, as Kat says, you know, this whole idea that you, you have to earn your place, you have to earn your right to have an opinion. Um, Kara is learning all of these things. And I think it's, it's really interesting to watch her learn a little bit like Kirk that you need your pain, you need your experiences, that whether it's good or bad, that both of those things make you who you are. And in turn, it's that experience that gives you the right to have an opinion that people would listen to because you've been through something. And when you just hide away from everything and ex don't experience life at all and kind of live in a, in a little corner uh, in your own little fantasy world, it, none of that can happen. And I really, I thought that that was nice because for all intents and purposes, Kara does have the ability as quote-unquote a god almost to create a life that's not true, um, you know, that is a lie, uh, which what is what Nan is trying to do in Astra, which is to create a world that's not true, uh, that everybody is working together, but they're not working together because they want to. They're working together because they're forced to, and that's not really true for anyone a part of it. And I just, I, to me, the thought was really cool. You know, in the end, um, and and that, you know, fantasies and responsibilities and how all that stuff works together. Um, there's some there's some really good deep stuff in these shows. Yeah, I, this is why I like my daughter watching it because I feel like it's a coming of age story in a sense. It's Kara, Kara. See, even cats got me confused. But Kara, Kira, Kara, whatever your name is. Yeah, whatever. But Kara. You know, is finding that place on you know how to fit in and 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 her place in the world and how to be a woman and 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 accepting pain and fear and how to manage that and and so it, it's good life lessons to any young women and so I you know this is this is a series that I really buy into for my daughter I think uh, you know if she grows up to be Kara that would be great if she grows up to be Supergirl I'll probably be worried you know that actually. This is my favorite episode of the season because it is the, I guess it is the bookend to, was it Justice League Unlimited that did The Man Who Had Everything? And that was also spun off from a comic where Superman, uh, he, was, he was gifted the Black Mercy and the Black Mercy puts that particular person, whoever is affected by the Black Mercy, which is basically this kind of like giant tenderly plant kind of thing into paradise you know they're given the option to live in paradise to live out their, their their happiest moments in life and we've all had those those times where we've we've rather retreated into uh the the happiest moments of our lives we want to stay there but i think the greatest aspect of a hero is to be able to face probably the darkest moments of your life and come out as a winner on the other side, learning from that experience and being able to help people along the way as a hero. And I think that that's this episode of Supergirl. That's what she understands. It's, it's not that she can retreat into the life that she should have had. 
It's what do you make with the life that you do have? And especially with the Danvers family, especially with Alex, that's the life that she is supposed to live, not the life that she thinks she should live. And I, it's just one of those heartbreaking episodes where you're like, yeah, she's happy, but it's not real. Much like the Matrix, you know, it's, it's, it's this happiness that's not real. And once you accept the fact that it's not real, when you're really happy and a true and real and, and uh, uh, something that is, is not an illusion, it's probably one of the greater lessons, I think, that this show has actually brought forth to their audience, that you have to live in this society, that you have to create a, a true type of uh, and, and uh, grounded type of uh, happiness as opposed to something that is uh, an illusion of happiness. It's, 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 it's very powerful. It is. It's just like Star Trek Generations. That's what this episode is. <laughs> it's the Nexus. The, the Nexus. And, 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 and Matthew, I also appreciate, you know, when you said that, you know, I, you know it's like, I, I can't, you know, your pan can't, you know, be waved away with a, the wave of a magic wand. You know, you brought up Star Trek V very briefly there, but it's true. And Kirk says, you know, I want my pain. I need my pain. That's who I am. And I think that uh, I think that's a very important part of this episode. I, I can't stress how good this episode really is because I found, even though it was animated, I found it as powerful when they did it in Justice League Unlimited when Superman was was basically given that same gift that Krypton was never destroyed, that Jor-El and Lara were still alive, that he was able to live out his life as as he should have as opposed to what happened. And I think that's something that's really important for people to understand, especially the audience that they're talking to because there's the reality of the situation of your life and then there's the fantasy. And no matter what drug gives you that fantasy, the true meaning of it is how great of the experiences is when it's the reality. Yeah, there's a there's a difference between whatever you want to tell yourself and the truth. And the difference is is one is real and has an impact on your life and the other is fake and will probably not lead you to the happiness that you're looking for because in the end you'll know it's not real. I think that's really important, and, and it also ties into this this whole thing that happens, especially at the end of the series, that there really is a greater weapon, uh, and you, you know you have this whole idea of fear being used and people being forced to work together uh, to save the world's problems, and their whole idea of defeating that mind control agent of Myriad is hope. But it's hope in action, which is I really like. It's not just some nebulous idea of hope, but it's it's real hope. And so when Kara is talking to people, she's giving them her story and how that story led to hope in her and helping them see the hope in their lives uh, and in the small everyday things. But at the same time, the whole series is really about Kara being hope in action. Uh, you know, we can't just say the word hope and not actually do anything. And and Kara is willing to put her life on the line and do something and, and to do the ultimate of, you know, she's she's willing to give up her life for whoever she needs to. Um, and I, I really thought that that was a, a, a strong thing to see that, you know, all this hope talk we have in our world but hope has to be followed by action, you know, because 
the only way that we can actually have hope in something is for us to think that it could actually lead to something better, which usually requires there to be an active part of that. And I, I just, I like that Kara in vibes the action of that for us as an example, but so do other people in her life. And I just, I thought that, that was really, it was a really great way to, to defeat the, the problem they had at the end um, and not just come off as like uber cheesy. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, I thought it was well done. Yeah, I thought it was well done too. And I, re- I liked that in a few episodes prior to that, a lot of people were starting to fear Supergirl when she got infected with the red kryptonite and they didn't know they could trust her. And so now we fast forward and now we end this at a place where she gives hope to everyone. She's turned things around over time. And this is a good bookend to the season and and creating that hope in everyone and, and them believing in her and hearing her message. And I feel like they've even learned more about her. So there's more trust in her. So I thought that was a great way to just end this first season. I, t- I totally agree, Bruce. I mean, like, at the end, I think that the show has finally matured where we see how how powerful the super, I don't want to say Superman, Supergirl, super whatever, but that whole, the lore of it really matters still to DC especially in the TV universe. Because sometimes when we watch Flash and we watch Arrow and we watch Legends of Tomorrow, it's like it's great superhero stuff. But in the end, it all goes back to this, this S symbol. What does it mean? Every time somebody sees it, it means something exactly the same to everybody. It means hope. It means that there's this, this greater power that either you can draw inspiration from or that uh, it, it, it is a, a something bigger than yourself. And I think that it's exactly what they showed on everybody's screen, uh, thanks to the Maxwell Lord tech, that symbol, the S symbol, was the thing that was able to shake everyone out of their, out of their, uh, I guess it was their possession, you know, the being possessed by a myriad. So I thought that was a really neat thing towards the end. It, it showed that Supergirl as a show, to me, has arrived and has a certain maturity to it. It was tackling some very, very specific issues and I think the only thing at the end I really wanted to see was that showdown between Kara and Alora. I think that that itself would have probably taken it to the next level because she had to make that choice. And the choice was either family or hope. I think that would have been great drama. You know, what do you do? What do you choose between? Do you choose between who you are or who you were and the people that you should be protecting or the people that you are protecting? And what means most to you? What means most to you, Kara? Make that choice. And we are going to be following along with her. You know, does Jimmy and Wynn and Kat, you know, and all the people, uh, Hank and Alex and um, all the people that in her life are on this side of the equation. But then you have the history of her people on the other side of the equation. That's heavy stuff. That's great drama. That's exactly the same question that Zod posed to Clark at the end of Man of Steel. What do you do? What is your choice? And what is the right choice? I think that for the audience, it would have been very powerful. I think uh, I I liked that connection 
uh, there. I think there are some interesting connections uh, with Man of Steel. One of them I liked was is is kind of happy go lucky as this universe is. People still have a fear of aliens, very much like you get in the Man of Steel universe, where people aren't. They kind of like them, but they don't like, you know, like some people love them, some people hate them, you know, but it, it's more of a mixed bag than an all out, oh, we all love Superman, you know. Uh, I liked that. I, I thought that that was very realistic. And then the, being able to play with that, especially with the Red Kryptonite episodes, was really fun. Uh, and I, I, I was glad that it wasn't just Superman the movie style where everybody loves Superman regardless Um this felt, again, more akin to what... And, and people are always comparing the two, but it actually felt more akin to the, the movie universe uh, than not. And I think the DCTV play walks that type rope really well, and, and they gave us some of that stuff with Supergirl. Um, and yeah, as I said before, I really like the connections that we get here in this season that will get picked up in season two. You know, with James not being comfortable on the sidelines anymore, he wants to do more. Cadmus gets the mention here a couple of times and really plays in with Jeremiah at the end of the season, and he's alive and all that. I think it's great. Uh, the DEO is even trashed, so it kind of makes a little bit of sense that they move. Um, not a ton, but a little bit. Uh, and I think the biggest miss is the fact that Lord and Lane, you know, they have the Amiga Hedron at the end. We just haven't heard much of what happened in season one referenced in season two. And I, I don't know if that'll ever be back. So it's a little disappointing that some of that stuff didn't get picked up on because I think, I don't know. I, I just hate to think that a whole major storyline, especially with Maxwell Lord and, and general lane is kind of getting thrown out the window. I love that they brought the, the Omega Hedron back from Supergirl, the movie with Helen Slater. I just think that's a great tie. I mean, obviously they had Helen Slater in Supergirl, which is awesome, you know, as, as Mrs. Danvers, but uh, just the, the Omega Heater on itself is such a specific prop to that movie. I think it's kind of cool that they have it in here now as, you know, as, as, a, as a plot device for season one. I just, I don't know. I, I love it when they reach back into some like these really kind of like smaller bits of the lore. Season two, to be honest with you, completely honest with you, I have not started yet. And it's, and it's fine that we talk about it, but since we're only talking about season one, I think that it is interesting that there is a little bit of a shift between what they have brought over, ported over from season one and focused on in season two. And that I did watch a couple episodes in season two, and I think that they are trying to streamline it into the CW universe especially as we saw Supergirl in the Invasion series because it posed a really interesting question. Every single hero that went up against Supergirl in the Invasion series, even with Oliver's experience and even with Barry's power, lost to her. So it's one of those things where, okay, now you have the Superman factor involved in your universe. What do you do? Because they don't have a way to beat her. So it kind of goes back to that whole thing with Superman where now you have an unbeatable character that doesn't really kind of help move the drama forward in a way, I guess. I don't know. Am I speaking out of turn? No, I think that's interesting. I mean, I, I really think you do have something. It's one of the reasons I'm I'm sure that they are keeping her 
kind of separate in her own universe and they'll only bring her over for specific things. Uh, I, I think we're actually more likely to see the Flash crossover to her universe more so than vice versa. I think it's I think the major crossovers are gonna happen once a season and then the Flash will cross over maybe once another part of the season just to hang out with Kara or she needs help or something. Um you know, I'd actually I'd love to see Arrow show up in 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 her universe. Or the Legends of Tomorrow would be cool. Uh th- those guys show up. But yeah, you're you're right. Um there are very few problems that Kara can't handle by herself. Although I will say one of the fun connections of the season was when the Flash came over. Not the best episode of the season, but so much fun. But it also had a purpose of teaching Kara some things. And Kara is a little bit impulsive and Barry was able to mentor her a little bit like Oliver mentored him. And again, I think that's one of the things that was kind of missing from the season is that ability to have that happen because she wasn't in their universe or she wasn't even on their network at the time. And that episode alone showed me the benefit that those characters could have been in the Supergirl season for giving it an even more grounded aspect and having her have more people to look to. But, um, you know, it, I don't know. It, it was fun and it'll be very interesting to see where they go as she continues. Cause all of the CW shows have been renewed for another season, uh, for sure. So area is going on to season six flash will be going to season four. Supergirl will get season three and Legends of Tomorrow will get season three as well. So, I mean, they're continuing to roll and we've got a lot more, you know, DC TV coming from the CW, which is wonderful to me. Uh, And I guess that leads me finally to the question for you gentlemen. If you had to rate Supergirl season one, uh, we'll do out of 10. So it gives us some some good room. Uh, Where do you think you'd put it? I, I don't know, Bruce. What about you? The rewatch has really helped me appreciate the series more than I did before. And I appreciate it the first time, but rewatching it again, I've really enjoyed it. And so far, I'm liking season one better than season two. But I almost feel like now I have to go back and rewatch season two to maybe appreciate it more coming right off of watching rewatching season one. So I'd like to just jump back into season two at the very beginning and just start watching those real quick. Um, but I would say it's the characters that I'm really bought into in the series and Supergirl and her development and Cat Grant and their relationship. And like I said earlier, the villains just haven't really done it for me that much, but I've really enjoyed the series. And so I would say that I would give it eight Black Mercy fantasies out of 10. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what you what do you got for us, Norm? What do you think? So in the rewatch, I think that I actually enjoy the rewatch a little bit more because like we all do with Netflix, I think that being able to watch it episode to episode to episode at my time, at my tempo, if you will, it gives me a better understanding of the narrative, the overall narrative, and it doesn't have uh, the dramatic pauses of kind of like the mid-season break and all that kind of stuff. But I also realized something when I was watching it this second time, and I saw it through the lens of both myself as the audience 
and the audience it is intended for. I think that's actually kind of important when you watch something because it's not intended for me. I'm a 44, almost 45-year-old male. Okay, Bruce, you're a father of how many Two. girls? Two girls. Okay, so you and I are vastly different in terms of the of the of the audience that it's it's for. Because when you watch it with your girls, you're seeing it through a different lens than even for yourself or for somebody like me. So for me, I think that there's I'm looking at it in terms of the production quality, in terms of the acting, in terms of the narrative, in terms of the scripting. And I think for me as a first season, I think it succeeds in some places. It kind of is uneven in some places. So I will put it at a solid seven out of 10 Omegahedrons. But if I'm going to rate it for the audience it's intended for, I would actually put it at an 8.5, possibly nine Omegahedrons because I know who it's intended for. It's not for me. I know that it's not for me. And it's not that I can't appreciate what it's doing, but I really think that it's, if you wanted to ask and have this rated by the proper audience, it would be for your daughter's Bruce. You know, it, I would love to hear, you should ask him that question and say like, okay, if you had to rate this, what would you give it? Because they're going to grow with this show. I'm not going to technically grow with this show. I'm going to get out of it what I want to get out of it. I love fights. I love costuming. I love props and, you know, so on and so forth. But for the audience, that's going to get a really good moral lesson and something that actually drives them and inspires them to be something different, like as our shows did for me, as Christopher Reeve's Superman did for me, it's a different perspective that you're looking at. So it's, it's hard for me to judge this because I know for a fact that it's not for me. I enjoy it to death, but it's not for me per se. Yeah, I think for me... Uh like both of you, the show actually rose my esteem in the rewatch. And, and so I would say, you know, if I had probably rated the show the uh, the first go-round at the end of the first season originally, it probably would have been about 6 out of 10. I think it rose to a 7 out of 10 Red Kryptonite introductions. Uh, and I, I just, I, I think part of that was the the character development that you really get to latch on to as you watch it more succinctly uh, but also the the plot development and, and all of that that comes together even better uh, on a second viewing and, and that was really great to see that it, it actually felt better and now at the same time as you heard in the episode there were flaws that stuck out more so as well so on that though I, I still think this is a 7 out of 10 it's very solid and it's a lot of fun and it's enjoyable, and like Bruce, you said, it's something you can watch with your kids and have a great time with. Uh, and I, I think that's a in today's age, that's a great thing to be able to say about a TV show. Uh, and so I, I'm very excited that we got to dive in to Supergirl, and I really appreciate the fact that we have our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, and Norman Lau, who is with us tonight. Really appreciate all of you gentlemen going over to Patreon and supporting the network. And we're a listener-supported network, and we definitely need your help to make sure that we can keep all of this coming to you each and every week. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how just a little bit every single month can help that keep coming to you. We've got some great perks for you you can check out. So feel free to do that again at Patreon dot com slash trek fm of course you can find us all over the place we're on itunes stitcher tune in i mean 
YouTube these days, even all over the place. Uh, check us out on iTunes, though, feature provider there. Hit us up with a star rating and review. It really helps. Uh, if you want to contact us, go to trek.fm slash contact. Uh, you can also go to the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can click discussion on the menu bar. You can go to our website at trek.fm. We're at speakpipe.com slash trek.fm for voicemails. And we're on Twitter, at trek.fm. So make sure you hit us up in all of those places. Thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now. Here.